Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the show, Quentin D'Souza. Hi, Victor. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you here again. Now, Quentin, you and I have known each other for a number of years and developed a bit of a friendship. And boy, so much has changed. I thought it might be useful to talk a little bit about a segment of real estate investing that is maybe not quite mainstream. But before we do, maybe give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Sure. I started investing in 2004, 2008. I started to do Burr projects and um, with single families, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. 2015, I started to move to apartment buildings. Uh, I've been a full-time investor since 2013. I've written uh, six books on Amazon, and I run a real estate club in um, uh, the Durham region, just east of uh, Toronto, Canada. That's awesome. Now, when we talk about You've, I mean, you've built a fairly sizable portfolio. When we talk about um, acquiring that portfolio over time, you, you've stayed away from those smaller properties and you've really graduated into larger properties now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. I, I'm focused on buildings between 10 and 100 units. And, um, you know, I do have some smaller buildings that I bought initially in 2015 and 16. Um, but, um, well, and 17, but I, I really focus on the, you know, I would say medium, smaller, medium buildings, <laughs> I guess it's all in perspective, but, uh, and, and you've got to remember that what's really different is I am in a rent controlled market. So, um, when I say rent control, that means that the government basically dictates every year what we can do as an annual increase. Um, it, there is a rent that is decontrolled between uh, units. So if a, a tenant gives a, a notice to leave and you're putting in a new tenant, you can bring that tenant up to market rent. And um you know, there are some other things like you can do an above the guideline increase and there are, you know, some things that can be done. Um, but um, our market in Ontario, Canada is is very different than, than most. So um, what I'm focused on when I'm, when we're looking at apartment buildings, we're looking at uh, net operating income. And, um, you know, when, when we're looking at the one to four units, we're basing our, our value on the comparative model. Um, and then in the apartment buildings, it's on the income model. So when I can increase the uh, income of a building, I can cr- increase the net operating income, and therefore I can increase the value of the building. So if I take a unit or a number of units that I can turn over in a building, I can therefore increase the value without having to do as many renovations or adding um amenities or features in order to to give the the building additional value um oftentimes i find that we can boost the value of a building significantly by turning over 25 to 30% of the building and um therefore increasing the value of the building and not necessarily doing anything extraordinary when it comes to um finishes uh, I, we don't do condo quality finishes in any of our units we're targeting you know 
lower middle class, blue collar, um, you know, for our tenant profile. And it it seems to have served us well over the last uh, eight years. Now, when you, you talked a moment ago about the distinction between residential underwriting versus commercial underwriting, I know, for example, when we first went into Philadelphia, we started out with a number of smaller properties, but on stabilization, we packaged them together and put a blanket loan over the entire portfolio. So it actually got commercial treatment rather than residential treatment. Is is that something you've looked at, something you've considered? Um, I have done that. I've done blankets over some of my residential properties, but um, from a financing perspective, they're still financing it based on um, debt coverage ratio and the rents just don't make sense in my smaller like one to four unit properties when I've done a blanket commercial. Um, in the um, you know five plus unit space, you know that work that can work quite well um, just because we have uh, financing that's very different than um, than than that's what's available in the U.S. So we have CMHC, um, which is really kind of like the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, or Premier kind of- It's actually more like HUD financing. HUD, uh, yes, yeah. HUD financing, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, we're getting, you know, 35-year amortizations, 40-year amortizations um, on our buildings where, you know, we're I'm just working on one right now where we have a, a 4.6% um, uh, interest rate for a five-year term. So, you know, that's that's quite good when you're talking about that and add up, you know, maybe um, 85% LTV with, uh, as long as the debt coverage ratio supports it, you know, it, it becomes uh, quite nice from a financing perspective. Although we just got a news that we're going to get see a bump up in, in June on, on, the, on the rates. Now, so when you're talking about repositioning, you're not doing a heavy lift on these buildings. Uh, these are presumably not amenitized buildings, so you're not yep. really moving them up market. You're simply juicing the rents to the extent that you can within the rules as they're written. Right, and and that's really like it's a it's a, a neat little niche because what ends up happening is the um you are always going to go through this process every few years because the rents will never keep up um based on the actual market rent versus the annual increase that you're allowed so you can use this strategy to increase the rents bring up the market rent but because you're in a rent controlled environment um, you know, you could do this for three to five years, get to the same point three to five years from now and have the same, you know, strategy going forward for the next three to five years because your rents have not caught up. I mean, it is a challenging market, you know, when it comes to the residential tendencies and, and all of that. But uh, I found that this has been a really effective strategy for you know what I've been able to do on my buildings. Usually, every three to five years, we're working to refinance them and um, pull out equity, and then uh, put that equity back to work in another building. Now, you talked about a fairly high level of tenant turnover in a short period of time. One of the hallmarks of a rent-controlled environment is that often people refuse to move. They are there for often much longer than they would even expect to be themselves. What can you do that is both 
legal and respectful that creates that higher turnover? Yeah. So, I mean, there are, I mean, one of the things that I I have to say that um, is a problem with this type of environment is that it only is beneficial, like a rent controlled environment is only beneficial to those tenants that are already in place. It does a lot of harm to future tenants or tenants that are looking for properties, unfortunately. And I just don't think it's a, a well, well positioned system, even though I'm, I'm, looking at it in as an opportunity instead of a you know a problem so that being said we're vertically integrated so we have about um, 1100 units that are in our uh, i have a partner who has a property management company and uh, so that vertical in- integration allows us to handle the property management internally and so all, we're very geared towards once we take over a building, ensuring that we are up to the, you know, that all our tenants are up to the standards of the, of paying rent on time, uh, noise, garbage, all of those things, working within the landlord tenant board and really uh, cleaning up the, the buildings that we take over. Um, that in itself, sometimes when we just buy a building, we end up with um, turnover because there's the new landlord coming in. <laughs> and that you know, sometimes that's that's been as high as 15%. Uh, but usually it's in the order of about 10% just from purchasing a building. And then once we're once we're in there, you know, we push the turnover of the units by ensuring that people are following because we're buying buildings from usually landlords or owners who've owned it for 20 or 30 years. They're older couples and they haven't really followed the landlord tenant board rules. You know, they a lot of people paying rent late, different things like that. And, and we're pushing the screws on uh, and and tightening it and, you know, running a tighter ship. So that causes some turnover. Uh, then um, there's a couple of different things. One, it, there is the ability to do cash for keys. Although, um, you know, when I talk to some of my my friends in different markets, they they can't believe that I would pay five, 10, you know, $15,000 to a tenant to, to leave a, a unit, but I have. And, um, you know, oftentimes, and I, and actually I just did this recently where a tenant was at about $800 per, 850 per month. And they, uh, the, mar- the market rent is 1600 per month. And I paid them $5,000 to leave. And they were able to take that, um, the $5,000 plus, uh, they were getting um, a supplement from the government for their residential housing, which actually increased when they they moved to a new unit. So, you know, they didn't really change their position and they ended up with $5,000 and uh, we ended up uh, ending that tenancy, turning over the unit. Unit cost was about... Um, about ten thousand dollars to turn over the unit. Actually, it was maybe closer to eleven, and um, and then we have this now increase uh, in rent, and we also were were charging additional utility. So let's say we're about uh, nine hundred dollars more in additional rent in um, in a four and a quarter cap market. Very interesting. Yeah, and, and so like when, when we do something like that, so we're you know we're nine hundred times twelve divided by the cap rate, 
we're boosting the value of the building by 250,000. So would I pay 5,000? Yes. <laughs> right now, as rents become so different between market rent and current rent, it becomes more and more challenging to offer $5,000 to a tenant to, to turn over the unit. So it may require higher amounts to do the same thing. Very interesting. So would you say that the strategy you're employing here is unique to the market conditions here in Ontario, or is this something that could be applied elsewhere in places that do have rent control, thinking California, Oregon, uh, other places like that? Yeah, I believe it can. As long as they have rent decontrol in between the units, definitely this is a strategy that can work. If there is no rent decontrol in between the units, then that would be a problem. But I mean, those markets in itself are are self-destructing, I would think. But uh, that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, understood. Like, yeah. But yes, definitely it's it's a, an opportunity for them to, you know, uh, that's the way that I, I look at things, try to find the opportunity and the obstacle. And, you know, that whole, whole, whole Ryan Holiday book, uh, The Obstacle is a Way, is a great way to interpret what I'm doing in, in this market and what other people are doing in this market as well. I love it. Well, Quentin, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Um, you can connect with me at quintindesouza.com or, um, you know, you can pick up a book or listen to uh, listen to me online. There's lots, lots of ways to get a hold of me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, love the perspective, love what you're doing. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Quentin D'Souza at quintindesouza.com. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 